commute that summer of 67, the J&L gas station sat right across Church Street, U.S. Highway 34, from the two-story white frame house we'd called home for a year. Fresh out of high school, bound for the University of Illinois on a full-ride scholarship that fall, I left bagging groceries part-time at Art Supermarket in downtown Sandwich, Illinois, at a buck and a quarter an hour, for the full-time summer gig, pumping gasoline at the JNL for a buck sixty-five an hour. Great job for a teenage boy. There were two kinds of gas stations then: full service or cheapies that only pumped gas. Full service meant they had mechanics on duty and performed auto maintenance up to and including engine overhauls, sold tires, installed mufflers, all the while pumping gasoline, washing windshields, and checking tire pressure. Cheapies, on the other hand, only sold gas and cigarettes. Service limited to checking oil and putting the occasional cord in, checking and filling the radiators, as well as checking tire pressure if requested. Unwritten rules prevailed. Two bucks worth of gas got you a windshield wash. A buck's worth. Windshield washed only if you ask. Unless you are a young, attractive woman. In which case, any purchase amount necessitated a window wash, highly polishing the driver's side in order to check out the legs. Uniform consisted of heavy-duty white cotton, white short-sleeved shirt with J&L patch on the chest, above the generous-sized pocket, stuffed with a wad of bills, and a silvery chrome tire pressure gauge. Pack of Marlboros in the other shirt pocket. Jeans bedecked with a chrome coin changer hanging from the belt. A pair of Dad's old steel-toed work shoes from Caterpillar, so that if you got gasoline or oil on them, it didn't matter. They gave great support for an eight-hour shift spent mostly on your feet while walking from station to pumps and back. They'll pump your own unless you'd work there. Sales, virtually all cash. The station accepted MasterCard, but few people had them and fewer still used them for gasoline purchases. We had a couple of accounts for business people who carried a balance, which they came in and paid off monthly, but only because the owner or manager, Bob Segrist, knew them well and allowed them to do so. Everyone else paid cash. No such thing as unleaded, fully leaded premium or regular. Only the few higher-end Oldsmobiles, Buicks, or high-performance Mustangs or Camaros took the premium, which sold for 38 cents a gallon, while the fully leaded regular was 35 cents a gallon. We didn't get many of the premium-using cars. Their owners took them to the Sinclair next door or down the street to the Standard. They weren't about to use that disdainfully sneered at cheap gas. Nope, it wasn't a Buick kind of place. Unless it was a 10-year-old Buick that pulled in for a buck's worth and a quart of bulk oil. Bulk oil came in 55-gallon drums, which you accessed with a hand pump, fell in a quart jar with steel spouts screwed on the top. Bulk oil was for the beaters that burned a quart with every dollar's worth of gas. We knew our customers. Once you'd worked there a few weeks, you knew the two-bucks regular and a pack of Marlboros customer from the Fill her up regular and check the tires to the give me a buck's worth as they headed to the Pepsi machine. Then we had the regulars who would slip into the men's room with a pocket full of quarters and sheepishly emerge a few minutes later, pockets lighter, after the clacking noise of the condom machine dispensing its product. 
the multiple purchase condom consumers were mostly, to my young eyes, older married guys. That is in their 30s and 40s. While the single-use purchasers tend to be guys more my age, late teens and early 20s. Birth control pills had just come on the market and weren't in common use yet, which probably goes a long way to explaining why my high school class started with 120 students, evenly divided between boys and girls, 60 each, yet only 75 graduated, 40 boys and 35 girls. Abortion was illegal then, so when a girl disappeared midway through the school year to go live with her aunt, we all knew she was pregnant and wouldn't be back until after the baby was placed for adoption. The alternative? Dropping out of school and marrying the boy, who most likely went to work in one of the factories in Aurora. Girls who married didn't come back to school. Motherhood in high school wasn't acceptable, nor was pregnancy. Once a girl began to show, she left school. After all, it might be contagious. We knew our customers' preference in cigarettes, too. Teddy Fritch's dad, who drove a big old Hemi-engine Chrysler that took premium fuel, was our only Chesterfield non-filter smoker. But we stocked them anyway, because he bought a couple of packs most every day. Then the State Farm insurance agent, with the charge account, who invariably pulled up to the far lane, rather than the lane closest to the white cinder block station, demanded a pack of menthol Newports. Mike Saunders' dad, who only worked weekends at the J&L after his 40 hours in the all-steel factory, refused to walk out to the far lane for him. He beckoned him into the closest lane for service. Old man Saunders, he had to be at least in his late 40s, explained to me, That son of a bitch had me walk all the way out to that far lane in the rain to ask for a five-cent pack of gum. Bullshit. Old man Saunders always had the biggest fake smile on his face as he gestured for the white shirt-wearing insurance agent to pull into the closer aisle. Me? I'd just carry out his pack of Newports, pump the dollar or two of gas into his Dodge sedan, and add it to the ongoing tally in the 3x5 index card box on the steel shelf next to the gold and white cans of Quaker State 10W30 premium motor oil. Friday nights and Saturdays, we hustled, hustled, hustled. Most people got paid on Fridays. So Friday night or Saturday, they went to the bank, gassed up the car for the next week's drive to work, and bought groceries. We didn't get a chance to sit on the white-painted concrete ledge outside the sweltering office until 8 o'clock or so. I'd light up a Marlboro, crack open a cold bottle of Mountain Dew, and stretch out my gasoline-stained blue-jeaned legs. Old man Saunders inevitably fired up his crusty pipe to puff it as he talked dirty about the last young housewife through the drive or the latest teenage girl who stopped by to chat with me on a dateless Friday night. He was a crotchety old bastard, but I learned a lot from him, especially how to wrap the paper towels just so to spotlessly dry the windshield. He also taught me that two bucks worth got a customer the front windshield wash as you set the pump on slow, which gave you just enough time, if you were quick, to pull the long-handled combo squeegee sponge, wash the front windshield, squeegee, then finish off with your carefully wrapped paper towels. Hustle back to the gas pump, flip it off, gas cap back on, nozzle back into the pump, up to the driver's window, and ask, check your oil? Collect the two bucks, then on to the next waiting car. Phillips, on the other hand, 
got the full Magella. Wash every window and maybe even a swipe at the side mirrors and always a side mirror polishing if the driver happened to be female and attractive. But alas, most of our customers were working class guys who didn't merit the extra attention to detail. No summer like a 17-year-old summer. Graduated from high school, college in the fall. Only responsibility to show up to work on time, make the correct change while not spilling gas on the concrete drive, and save enough of my weekly paycheck to cover the coming norm costs and spending money. I wouldn't register for the draft until September, my 18th birthday. So Vietnam, just a cloud on the horizon for others. Not for me. I'm headed to college and a draft deferment. My only regret that summer? Most of my classmates had taken permanent jobs in one of the many factories that paid a union wage and were driving shiny new Camaros, Mustangs, Cougars, and Firebirds. No car for me, although I had the use of my dad's reliable, but but ugly 59 Plymouth Station Wagon work car, or a highly unreliable 1960 Ford, six-cylinder, three-speed manual transmission on the column, or the rare use of my mom's two-year-old Ford sedan. Luckily, however, my summer girlfriend, who had graduated the year before and had a real job as a secretary at a Chevy dealer in Aurora, had a Corvair convertible. She'd zip past, top-down, WLS. 890 Chicago on the AM radio. Wave and beep several times during the course of my evening shift. As the 9.30 closing time rolled around, I dashed to the men's room to scrub my oil-stained hands and tanned arms multiple times in a vain effort to eradicate the pungent gasoline odor. Even though home and clean clothes lay just across the street, I couldn't go home to change as my mother would demand to know where I was going, with whom, when I'd be home, etc., etc., etc. Nope, not risking that interrogation, or worse, a demand that I stay home, into that white convertible I'd jump, dirty jeans, gas-stained shirt and all. Off we'd go, cruising the five miles past fields of corn from the Sandwich, Illinois, Dog and Suds, where my best friend, Bob Neal, flipped burgers, while waiting to enlist in the Marines, over to Plano's Pizza Place and back, mindlessly cruising as the radio played. She was one of those girls who never put J&L gas in her car. It was too cheap, but she didn't mind pulling in to chat with me. There were other girls who stopped by that sunny summer, but they had earlier curfews and no convertible. That summer of 67 was the last sunny summer. That fall, my draft deferment went down the tubes with my grades. That winter, Bob Neal stepped on a mine outside way. The shit got real. Summer ain't the same.